Well, hello, friends, and a special welcome. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in week two of a series that we've called Unto Us. And what I wanted to do this year uh, with the four weeks leading up to Christmas is take a look at the Christmas story, which we're all very familiar with, but take a look at it from a slightly different angle than you may be used to. Because I'm convinced that most of us, when we think about Christmas, it sort of feels like something that happened long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? It's sort of a, a surreal story. And I think I know why. I think it has to do with the way our culture imagines the nativity scene. We're surrounded by images of nativity this year. Maybe you've noticed, including my neighbor who put up like one of those glow-in-the-dark baby Jesuses, and I'm not sure about that, but whatever, that's cool. If that's your thing, I'm on, yeah, there you go. Anyway, I'm like, do you live in Menard's Enchanted Forest? I don't even get it. But anyway, I decided what I would do to get us going this morning is put up a few of my favorite weird and creepy nativity pictures from our friends on the internet. Do you want to see them? They are amazing. Okay, check out this first one. Okay, this one just struck me as odd because it appears that though we all know Jesus was born in a cave or a barn, this particular cave or barn has embossed gold pillars in it, which I did a little research was not very common in first century Bethlehem, okay? Or ever. Okay, uh, the other thing I like about this one is that baby Jesus um, apparently is about two years old, is naked, and may have had some Benadryl. Which explains how it could have been a silent night. Parents, you all know what I'm talking about. All right. Check out this next one. This one's a little creepy. Now, (laughs) I can just leave it up. You're like, yep. Yeah. Okay, this one looks like something to me off Stranger Things, the Netflix show. You familiar with this? (laughs) Baby Jesus is being sort of ejected out of Mary. He's glowing. And and, uh, Elizabeth is ready to to catch him, uh, which is weird. And he's flying. And then... Over here, you have the little demon John the Baptist. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, what exactly was the inspiration for this nativity? And there's, you know, maybe somebody's like, I got an idea. Yeah, it wasn't a good idea, but that's okay. All right, check out this next one here. Uh, this one uh, is just like, yeah, I know. I know. Here's all I'm saying. There was a day when somebody painted it, and then there was a day somebody bought it, right? And I'm not sure what was going on with, with Jesus' head here, but, it, you know, it's just special. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lots of weird images about the nativity abound in, on the internet. And then in our culture, though, we don't kind of go that way with the nativity. We go this way with the nativity, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the Disney nativity, right? Everything's perfect. There's no dirt or smell, right? Everybody's got like perfect hair. Jesus, not only does he have a full head of hair as it, as it well, it looks like about a four-year-old, but he has when hair, Okay, he's looking good. The cow even looks good and peaceful and everybody's head is glowing one more time, right? I mean, it's like these images are all missing something. And what they're missing is sort of at the heart of the conversation that I want to continue with you today. Because as we approach Christmas this year, I want us all to remember that the characters in the Christmas story were real people. They were real people with real lives and real struggles. They experienced things that would have been as unprecedented and strange to them as they would be to us. They got out of bed one morning around 2,000 years ago and went, today is going to be just another day. But it wasn't because God moved into their lives in ways that were unexpected and incredibly disruptive. They had to figure out what to do. And their lives would never be 
the same. And my hope with this whole series is that as we experience the characters in the Christmas story as real people, we might actually find a bit of ourselves in the Christmas story. Or as the subtitle of the series goes, we might find us in the Christmas story. So today we get to explore uh, the lives of two of the most famous people in the world, arguably the most famous couple in the world, Mary and Joseph. And you know their story, but as we explore it this morning, I want you to ask a question. What would this have been like if this had happened to me? And to be fair, uh, most of us will never be visited by the angel Gabriel. So that's not what I'm arguing. But I would argue that we all have moments when life takes an unexpected turn. And like Mary and Joseph, we find ourselves asking two very important questions. The first one is, how can this be? And the second that sort of flows out of that is, what should I do? So how can this be, and what should I do? And in my line of work, we interact with people that are asking these questions all the time. Sometimes it happens with something relationally. Just imagine with me, uh, over the past few years, she's sort of drifted apart from her husband. I mean, the marriage, it hasn't been bad, but it hasn't been good either. And they just sort of are on this momentum of everything sort of being kind of not so great, but not so bad. And then one day he comes home from work and sits down at the counter and looks at her and says, you know, I met someone else. I I, I don't love you anymore and I'm leaving. And in a second, everything changes for her. Uh, Questions arise about who gets custody and who gets to keep the new leather, leather ottoman from Art Van. But then after the shock wears off, she sits on the edge of her bed and she thinks, how can this be? Like, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. And, and then the second question, what in the world, what should I do? So it can happen relationally, but it can also happen vocationally. Imagine this with me. Uh, there's some layoffs that, that, that are following sort of a transition in a company that the guy has worked for for decades. And he always imagined he would retire from this company. He'd collect a pension and, and he would kind of live into his retirement years. He loves this company. He believes in their mission. But he walks in on a Friday morning and there's an email that tells him he has a meeting with HR at the end of the day, which never sounds like a good thing, right? And he sort of walks in and, and they inform him that he's, he's been laid off. And he didn't see it coming. And and he knows that he's got some tough conversations in his future because he's going to have to go home and tell his wife and three teenage daughters that they may have to move. Not only schools, they actually may have to move states. And and as he sits in the family room couch and looks around at his, his kids and his wife, he's thinking, how can this be? And what in the world am I supposed to do? Well, maybe just one more example. I mean, it can happen relationally, it can happen vocationally, and it can also happen physically. After maybe a challenging diagnosis, imagine this with me. I mean, she's always made health a priority in her life. She exercises in a way that her friends find slightly obnoxious. Do you have friends like this? Yeah. She eats well. She's the one person in her immediate circle who looks forward to her annual physical. Like I said, she's a little weird, right? Because the doctor gives her a high five and says, hey, you're doing great. But this time around, uh, the blood test shows some unexpected and unwelcomed results. And she gets a phone call saying, we need to do some more tests. And she goes out online and realizes that these tests may lead to some procedures that are very uncomfortable. They may lead to some therapies that may actually almost kill her, but not quite, in order to save her life. And 
she moves from sort of shock to sort of this moment of despair and confusion and frustration. I mean, she kept it together in the doctor's office, but now she's alone in her car and she turns off the radio and grips the steering wheel and the tears start to flow. And she's like, how can this be? And what in the world should I do? And and it's moments like these, in moments like these, all we know is that life will never be quite the same and the future no longer feels certain. Again, it's confusing, it's frustrating, it's disorienting, it's disruptive, it's, it's terrifying. Well, as we enter the story this week, uh, Mary is unaware that her life is about to change. The narrative she imagined for her future is about to be dramatically interrupted. And an early Jesus follower named Luke records the day everything changed for us. I will pick it up in uh, Luke 1, chapter 26. It reads this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and if you were with us last week, we talked about that uh, interesting, interesting story. You can uh, catch up on the podcast. But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in the Galilee. If you're unfamiliar, uh, Galilee is is a sea and a region in northern Israel. Nazareth Nazareth is about 16 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. So just a bit of geography there. Uh, Let's continue. Uh, To a virgin... Pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So there's a word here that shows up twice, and I've highlighted it for you. And I would argue that this is a very, very critical piece of information. That's why Luke gives it to us twice. It's almost like he's saying, if you don't get that Mary was a virgin, what happens next makes absolutely no sense. It's like when you're reading the Christmas story by Charles Dickens, right? Or Christmas Carol, and it begins with, Marley is dead. And if you don't get that Marley is dead, nothing that happens from here makes any sense. So it's kind of like, like that. Maybe I'm the only one that's read that story. But that's okay. That's okay. No problem. So what Luke wants us to know is that Mary has reached the age where her body is able to produce a child. But, we'll keep this PG for our crowd, right? She hasn't done the sort of things that you might need to have happen in order to actually produce a child. So based on first century culture, that tells us something. That tells us that Mary was probably between the ages of 13 and 16 years old. She was an eighth grader or a ninth grader. And Joseph in the culture would have been a little bit older, maybe a a late teen or early 20s. And they were engaged. Now from here, as Luke continues his account, things get really unexpected and really interesting. Uh, So the angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I would argue it was not the greeting that was the primary issue. It was who was giving her the greeting, right? I mean, all of a sudden, she's kind of cruising through life and boom out of nowhere, an angelic encounter. And Luke tells us she was greatly troubled. And I love it because, of course, she was greatly troubled. Wouldn't you be? We don't know where Mary was when this angelic encounter occurred. Maybe it was the middle of the night. Maybe she was sleeping and she's awakened by a blinding flash of light. And when she opens her eyes, there's a shiny glowing man standing by her dresser, right? If that happened to me, I'd probably scream like a 13-year-old girl and throw my pillow. And if I survived the encounter, I'd have some additional laundry to do in the morning, right? I mean, that's how this would have gone. But but, but the angel said to her, I can continue the slide here, but the angel said to her, um, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor 
with God. And I love that the angel says, do not be afraid. Every time an angel shows up in the biblical narratives, they, their first words out of their mouth are, do not be afraid. Do you know why they have to tell people not to be afraid? Because everybody an angel appeared to was afraid. As best we can tell, they presented themselves like warriors. They were massive. They were powerful. And they were frightening. And, and so Luke tells us, the angel continues. He says, you, Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. Now, there's something interesting going on in the original language. Um, the name Jesus in Hebrew is the word Yeshua. And the word Yeshua has its roots in two Jewish verbs. The verb meaning to rescue and the verb meaning to deliver. So in Hebrew, names have meaning. Names are prescriptive even in their culture. And so, Mary, you're about to give birth to the rescuer. You're about to give birth to the deliverer. You're going to name him Jesus. This baby was going to be unlike any other baby in human history. And Mary gets a bit more as the angel continues. He says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And most high was a, another Jewish way of, of speaking of God, their creator. Uh, the son of the most high. His kingdom will never end. So Mary learns from this angelic encounter that her son will somehow be God's son and he will reign as king forever. Not as a king, but as the king. Now, I'm not sure how these details helped Mary's emotional state. Uh, she's never talked to an angel before. We were sort of in new territory. So you wonder what's going on inside of her head. But eventually, uh, she kind of pulls it together, catches a breath, and asks a really important logistical question to the angel. She kind of raises her hand, and the angel's like, yes. Uh, she says, how can this be? Mary asks the angel, since, since I'm a virgin. How can this be? I mean, at this point, Mary's thinking, okay, I'm not sure how this works with angels, because my whole angel biology class, I didn't really pay attention. But for human beings to make other human beings, something has to happen yet. And I know what has to happen because my mom and I have already had the talk, right? And I haven't had the, well, she called it the special hug yet, okay? That hasn't happened. So I'm not sure how this whole thing is going to work. And, and the angel, well, answers her question like only an angel would. She says, uh, the angel answered, oh, yeah, this is how this goes down. The Holy Spirit, that's like God's spirit, Okay, will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh, oh, that totally clears it up. Thanks. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And again, Mary's like, this happens all the time. My friends and I were just talking about this yesterday. We were in the lunchroom. We were having churros. It was churro day. It was a good day. And we were talking about, how, no, this is completely bonkers. You've got to be kidding me. How can this be? Miracle babies don't happen. And the angel looks back at her and goes, oh, yes, they do. Look at the next thing he says. He says, even Elizabeth, as in Elizabeth, you know, the one who had many years. We talked about that last week, right? Um, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive, as in too old, right, not happening anymore, is in her sixth month for nothing, this is huge, for nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Mary, nothing is impossible with God. There are rules in life, but with God, there are no rules. 
And I wonder if you're here this morning and that is something you needed to hear. Because maybe the most wonderful time of the year isn't very wonderful for you this year because, because the past 12 months have left you wondering if you'll ever feel right again. Something happened. There was a change in your story. Your picture for the future got really, really fuzzy, and it doesn't feel very wonderful right now. Your story's been interrupted. You don't know what to do. And when you think about it, the emotional wounds you sustained, you're not sure that those things ever can heal. Like, what will normal even be like going forward? And you're having a, how can this be Christmas? And you're wondering what in the world you can do. And if that's you, then perhaps the angel's words to Mary might speak to you as well. A reminder. Because what was true then is true today. Nothing is impossible with God. Over and over and over again, you're surrounded by people who would say, God makes a way where there is no way. He can provide hope in situations that feel utterly hopeless. He is in the business of bringing death, or bringing life rather, from death. And for those of us who've been walking with him for a very long time, who are maybe on the other side of one of these challenging situations, we would look at you and say, listen, you can trust him. You don't have to see a way forward. Just trust that he has the way forward. Well, Mary's response to this life-changing encounter gives us a window into the state of her faith. You say, well, how does a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl respond to the news that her entire life that she had imagined for herself is going to be different? We learn that Mary is deeply committed to following God wherever the path goes. And she can't even begin to imagine how difficult and how different her life would be moving forward. But for now, she says to the angel, I'm all in. Here's, here's what she says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, he is the master of my life. He is the king of my life. I got all kinds of questions, but, but if he's in it, I trust him. She says, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And Mary is alone in her bedroom again. And all of a sudden, the clarity that she had in the moment with the angel, I would argue, might become a little less clear because she's a real person. And she starts to imagine, like, that was so amazing. The angel visited me, and, wow, and I'm favored by God, and I, I'm going to be used to bring his son in the world. This is, this is incredible. I mean, I had hoped to be a mom, but, I mean, this is a whole nother level. This is going to be great. I can't wait to tell Joseph. He's going to think I'm a crazy person, right? What's she going to tell him? How would he respond to the reality that, that she's pregnant? I would argue, what comes next? Maybe the worst date night conversation in human history, right? In my mind, it went something like this. Joseph. I mean, we had had dinner, right? She made his favorite, whatever, probably lamb. I don't know, right? And they're sitting across the table, and she says, honey, I need to talk to you about something, I mean, you know I love you, right? I mean, you know I can't wait to be your wife. And we've been, you know, picking out the flowers for the wedding feast and all that. I mean, this is going to be, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know how we talked about having kids right away? You know, like how we talked about that would be great? Yeah. Well, I have some good news. And I, ha and I have some, how should I say it, unexpected news, right? Um, well, I need to tell you something. And I need to promise that you won't get mad. Promise? You love it when someone says that to you because you're like, I am not promising that. That is the worst thing ever to promise because I don't even know what I'm promising. <sighs> Shakes a deep breath. Okay, here it goes. 
The other night, I was in my bed, and an angel appeared to me. Yes, of course I was scared. There was an angel in my bedroom. And then he started to talk to me. Oh, what did he say? Good question, right? He told me that I was going to get pregnant with God's baby. There we go. God, and, and just pause for a second. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What would you do? Joseph's an ordinary guy. He's like has ordinary guy thoughts. And you just plop yourself in the middle of this story and you think, what in the world? Joseph's never imagined raising someone else's kid. He doesn't even have a wife yet, let alone God's kid. Plus, his fiance seems to be losing her mind. And he's got all kinds of questions. He's like, virgin births, uh, you know, angelic visitors. He's probably thinking, how can this be? And he's thinking, what should I do? Minimally, I think Joseph's like, I need a minute, right? I need a minute. And I imagine Gabriel, the angel that had talked to Mary, kind of looking over the edge and going, oh, this is not going well. Right? I need, I need to talk to the boss. He picks up the red phone. And fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, he learns that an angel has been dispatched to Joseph as well. And in a different account of Jesus' life, the first account in the New Testament, Matthew records that encounter for us. It goes like this and gives us, again, a little bit of a window into what was going on with Joseph. Uh, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, as in the Torah, the Old Testament law, God had said, these are the to-dos, these are the to-don'ts, and one of the to-don'ts is you don't get pregnant outside of marriage. And so because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, a few of you are like, wait, I thought they were disengaged. Why the divorce? That was first century Jewish custom. He had to get a divorce once you were engaged, but that was his plan. And he wanted to do it quietly. He loved her. He cared about her, but he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do other than, than leave her. And the text continues. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And that's all Matthew gives us, but I would argue, I don't think this completely cleared things up for Joseph, but an angel visited him, and at least he knew Mary wasn't crazy. Or at least if she was, they could be crazy together, right? I mean, that, that would be okay. So Mary and Joseph are both on board. God is moving in unexpected ways, and they've sort of moved past the how can this be to the what should we do phase of operations, because Mary and Joseph, well, they still have a tough road in front of them, because not everyone in their family and not everyone in their community got an angelic visitor that sort of cleared up the fuzzy parts of the story. All the family was going to know, all that the community was going to know, is that Mary was pregnant and either Joseph wasn't the father or the baby had been conceived out of wedlock. In either case, in the first century, that was a scandal in Jewish culture. So I just imagine Mary's anxiety like the conversation with Joseph, I mean, he came around, but it didn't go great initially. And then she's thinking, I got to tell my mom and dad. And just imagine that with me for a second. I'm sure she had a few sleepless nights. She was trying to figure out how to bring it up in a way that they could actually receive it, that it might go well. And eventually she realizes there is no way that this conversation is going to go well because her parents are real people. And her parents would respond just like your parents would respond if you came over one night and told them you were pregnant with God's baby. 
And when the conversation happened, again, I'm sure it didn't go well. There was probably some yelling by Mary's dad. I would imagine some fist pounding on the table. And then eventually he stands up and looks Mary in the eye and she says, where are you going? And he looks back and says, I am going to go to Joseph right now because we need to have a come to Jesus moment. I was waiting all week for that joke. I'm sorry. I just, I chuckled to myself. I was like, that's great. Okay. So just imagine with me what life was like for Mary and Joseph as the people of Nazareth watched her belly grow and they looked upon her in judgment. Imagine at work how the way Joseph's friends looked at him. I mean, this was a different time. This was, this was scandalous. And Joseph had always colored inside the lines and now now his fiance was pregnant and he, he wasn't the father or at least they weren't, they weren't married. Notice with me though that even though Mary and Joseph had said yes to God, even though they knew they were right at the center of his will for their life, life became increasingly complicated for them as the story moves forward. It didn't become easier even after they said yes to God. And that surprises some of us because we assume like, okay, if I say yes to God, then, then life's going to get easier. And apparently that is, that is not the case. We're actually going to unpack that a bit more next week. But I would argue that Mary and Joseph trusted God in this moment and they kept moving forward. Their answer to the question, what should I do, was we're just going to keep trusting God. We're going to keep moving forward. And in doing so, they became an incredible example to all of us who've experienced an unexpected twist in the story of our lives, whatever that twist is, however emotionally complicated it may be. Because the reality is we all have moments in our life, in our past, in our present, in our future, when we too will ask, how can this be? What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? This whole situation feels impossible. And it can come in many different flavors. I made just a brief list. It, you know, it may, it may present itself as the I'm pregnant, like Mary and Joseph, or Oh, and not just like Mary and Joseph, but you know what I mean. I'm pregnant, or I'm busted, or I got fired for the same thing, or I have cancer, or, or I don't love you anymore. And in those how can this be moments, we have a choice to make. Because either we continue to believe that God is telling a good story with our lives, and we lean into him and not run away from him in these moments, or, or, or we bold. But I would argue that if we can hold on to faith in these moments, we can Hold on to that belief that God is still at work in our lives, even in the darkest moments, and he's still telling a good story. If we can do that, then we really can hold on to hope. Not hope that the path will be easy, but hope that we never have to walk it alone. That's what Mary and Joseph did, and it was a decision that changed their lives. Friends, it was a decision that changed the world. So I guess what I want to leave you with from our time together today is that God invites us to trust him and to keep moving forward in our how can this be moments. God invites us to trust him when we don't know what to do. And that is another way that we can find a bit of ourselves in the Christmas story. Will you stand and I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I pray for friends in this space, friends that are watching online uh, that find themselves experiencing a how can it be Christmas. I pray that something in this 
ancient story, something in this ancient example of Mary and Joseph would, would give them courage to move towards you, to open their hands and surrender and to say, God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I don't, I don't know what to do next, but I, I trust that you do and that they would just keep moving forward. As they move forward in faith, I pray that they would find you faithful as you are always faithful. And then on the other side, that this may have been a season where their faith and you actually grew, where your relationship with them became stronger. We celebrate you as the God who never, ever, ever, ever gives up on us, who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. A God who truly can do impossible things. And so we thank you, we celebrate you, we bless you, and we love you. In the matchless name of your son Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Friends, go in peace. We'll see you next week for part three of Unto Us.